Hello, I'm Byron Reese with Kickohm. From ultra-low power devices using microcontrollers to complex applications using dedicated machine learning processors, AI runs on ARM. The AI revolution will transform every aspect of our future driven by disruptors like ARM and the bright minds featured on this Voices in AI podcast. Enjoy! This is Voices in AI brought to you by Gigaohm. I'm Byron Reese. Today, my guest is Dennis Loddick. He is the VP of Marketing of Machine Learning at ARM. ARM is, uh, well, let's just start off by saying you are, certainly have several of their products. They make uh, processors, and they have between 90 and 95% market share mobile devices. They've shipped 125 billion processors and are shipping um, at the rate of about 20 billion a year. That's, you know, what, three per person per year. Uh, welcome yeah. to the show, Dennis. Great. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. So picking up on that thread, three per person, and let's just take, you know, the half of the population that probably uh, some something like So it's probably four or five to anybody who owns any electronics. They probably have four or five of your chips this year. Where would they find those? Like walk me around the house yeah. or office and, and what all might they be in? Yeah. So it's we're, we're kind of one of the greatest secrets um, out in the market at the moment. So or pervasive certainly. Um, so I mean, ARM's responsible for designs of processors. So the the CPUs or ironic to this topic, the the brains as a lot of people call it that go into the the computer chips uh, that power our devices. So um, you know, behind your smartphone, obviously there's there's a a processor which is uh, is doing all of the things that you're seeing as well as a lot in the background um, but you know just looking around you um, you know TVs you, you know I'm speaking into a phone now it probably has a processing chip in the in the background doing something um, those those devices your electronic devices consumer electronic devices the the majority of those are probably being powered by a processor which was designed by arm um, we we do things that, that range from tiny sensors and watches and things like that clear up to to much larger scale uh, processing. Um, so yeah, you know, just looking around at, at battery powered devices or, or powered consumer electronic devices around you in your, your home or your office, there's a good chance that the majority of those are, are running a processor designed by ARM, which is quite an exciting place to be. I, I can only imagine. Uh, what was that movie um, that was out, the Kingsman movie, where once they got the devices and in, 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 once they got their chips and all the devices, they took over the world. So I assume that's kind of the, the yeah. long-term plan. Um, I'm, I'm not particularly aware of any nefarious plans, but, right, but we right. certainly got that kind of reach. <laughs> I like that, that uh, you didn't deny it. You just said you're not in the loop. I'm with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> So let's start at the top of the equation. What is artificial intelligence? So it's a good question. Um, there's, I think the, the definitions around it are a bit, a bit uh, unsettled at the moment. But I mean, certainly from my perspective, I tend to view things pretty broadly. Um, and it, I think I'd probably best describe it as a machine trying to mimic parts of of what we consider to be human intelligence. So it's a, a machine mimicking either part or, or several parts of what humans consider to be intelligence. 
And, Not and exactly you, a concrete term, but no, it probably no, is. Probably it's is very hard. You know, I think it's a great definition, except for problems with the word artificial and problems with the word intelligence. I mean, other than that, I, I think. <laughs> you know, you yep. said that um, in one talk I heard you give, uh, you said, you know, old tic-tac-toe programs would therefore be AIs. I'm, I'm with that, but I mean, by that, that definition is so broad. The sprinkler system that comes on when my grass is dry, that's AI. A calculator adds two plus two, which is something a person does, that's AI. Um, an abacus, therefore, would be AI. It's a machine that's doing what humans do. I mean, is yep. that definition so broad that it's meaningless? Or how, what, what meaning do you tease out of that? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and certainly, it's a context-driven type of, of question and answer. Um, and... You know, I tend to view artificial intelligence and and intelligence itself as kind of a a, a continuum of of ideas. So um, I think the challenge is to sit there and go, right, let's nail down exactly what artificial intelligence is, and and that naturally leads you to saying, right, let's nail down exactly what intelligence is. Um, I don't think we're to the point where that's actually a practical uh, possibility. Um, you know, you, you would have to start from the principle that human beings have, have completely fathomed the, the, the context of what the, the human being is capable of, uh, you know, and I don't think we're there yet. If we've learned everything there is to be learned about ourselves, then I would be very surprised. So, so you can't really, if you start from the, the, the concept that intelligence itself isn't uh, completely well understood, then you naturally fall back to the, the concept that artificial intelligence isn't something that you can completely nail down. So from a, from a more philosophical standpoint, which is quite, quite fun, um, you can, you know, it's not something that, that's concrete that you can just say, this is the, the denotation of it. Um, and from, again, from my perspective, it's much more useful to, if you want to look at it in a broad sense, to, to look at it as a, a scale or a, a spectrum of concepts. So, in that, in that context, um, then yeah, you know, going back to tic-tac-toe, it was a, it was, it was a, an attempt at a machine trying to mimic human intelligence. Um, you know, I certainly spent a lot of my earlier years playing, playing games like chess and so forth, uh, where I was amazed by the fact that a computer could could make these kind of uh, assessments. Um, and yes, you could you could go back to an abacus. Um, and you could go forward to to things like, okay, you know, we have a lot of immediate connotations around artificial intelligence, around robots and, and what we consider quasi-autonomous thinking machines. Um, but that then leaves the questions around uh, things like feelings, things like imagination, things like intuition, um, you know, what, what exactly falls into the realm of, of intelligence. Um, that's it's a pretty a pretty subjective and, and non-concrete uh, domain. But I think the important thing, although I like to look at it from a very broad continuum of ideas, um, I, you know, you do have to drive it on a context-sensitive basis. So from a practical standpoint, as a technologist, you you know, we look at different problem spaces and we look at different technologies which can be applied to those problem spaces and. Although it's not always clear, there's there's usually some very contextual driven uh, understanding between the the person or the people talking about you know AI or intelligence itself. So, when you think of different approaches to artificial intelligence, 
you know, we've been able to make a, a, a good deal of advances lately um, for a, a few reasons. One are the kinds of processors that do parallel processing that like you guys make that become better and better and cheaper and cheaper and we'll use more and more and more of them. And, um, and then we're, we're getting better at applying machine learning, which is of course your, uh, your, your, your domain to yep. broader problem sets. Do you have an opinion? You're bound to like, as you live your day, look at a problem like, oh, my car is routing me somewhere. Uh, is that a machine learning problem? And then you look at something else and say, oh, and machine learning at its core is studying the past, a bunch of data from the past and projecting that into the future. What do you think are the, yep. are the strengths of that approach? And what are, I'm, I'm very interested are the limits of it. Do you think, for instance, creativity, like what Banksy does, uh, is fundamentally a machine learning problem. You, you give it enough cultural references and it'll eventually be graffitiing whatever on it, on the wall. Uh, where do you think yep. machine learning rocks and where is it, uh, where, where does it, is it not able to add anything? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, so I think it, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times I get asked a question about uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and they get interposed between each other. And and I think a, a lot of people do, you know, because of the fact that, you know, in our, in our childhood, we all heard stories from science fiction that were labeled under artificial intelligence and, and went off in various different directions. So I do think that it's very easy for people to hear of a... Uh, a sort of uh, a step forward in terms of com what computers can do and to quickly extrapolate to, you know, what is, what is far reaching elements of, of, of artificial intelligence and, and somewhat in the domain of science fiction still. So it is, it is interesting to, to get involved in those discussions, but there is, there are some practicalities in terms of what the technology is actually capable of doing. Um, so from my perspective, you know, we've we've kind of. I think this is actually a really important wave that's happening at the moment. The the machine learning wave, as as you might call it. Um, you know, for years and years, uh, we've been stuck in. Well, not stuck, but we've been developing more and more complex classical computing uh, methodologies, and we were to. You know, we've progressively become more complex in in what we can produce. And therefore, we were capable. You know, we got increasingly more sophisticated in terms of of what we could achieve in terms of you know human expectations. Um, simple examples, or you know, that I use with with people who aren't necessarily technical, are you know, we started out with programs that said if the temperature is greater than twenty one, um, then turn on the air conditioner. If it's less than twenty one, turn off the air conditioner. And what you ended up with was a a thermostat that sat there constantly flickering the air conditioning on and off. Uh, then we became a little more sophisticated and we introduced hysteresis and we said, tell you what, if the temperature goes above 20 or if the, if the temperature goes above 22, turn off, turn on the air conditioner. And if the temperature goes below 19, turn it off. Um, and that's kind of, you can take that, that example and extrapolate that, <coughs> excuse me, over time. And that's kind of what's been happening in computing technology is we've been introducing more and more layers of complexity to allow more sophistication and what we would claim to be more naturalness in our interaction with, with things and the way that things made quasi decisions. Um, and that's all been well and fine, but the, the, the methodologies have become incredibly complex and, 
<laughs> it was it was increasingly difficult to make those next steps in progression of sophistication. And you know, the ImageNet, which is a bit of a cornerstone in in modern ML, was was a just a great example of of what happened. And that the you know the classic approaches were becoming more and more sophisticated, but it was difficult to really move the 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 output and the the capabilities on. Um, and the application of the of, of machine learning and, and neural networks in particular, that's just really blown the doors open in terms of moving to the next level. Um, and you know, when I try to decomplicate what's happened, I, I I tend to express it as we've gone from a world where we were we had a very deterministic approach and we were trying to to mimic fuzziness to an approximation to where we now have a, a computing approach which very naturally approximates um, and you know it does patterns and it does approximation and it just turns out that lo and behold when you look at the world a lot of things are patterned um, and suddenly the ability to understand patterns as opposed to trying to break them up into very deterministic principles becomes very useful and it, 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 it so happens that humans do a huge amount of approximation um, and that suddenly moves us much more forward to, you know, in terms of what we can achieve with, with computing. Um, and so the ability to do pattern matching and the ability to do approximation, it, it doesn't follow the, the linear progression of more and more determinism and more, more complex determinism. It moves us into a more fuzzy space, and it, it just so happens that that fuzzy space is a, a huge leap forward in terms of getting de de fundamentally deterministic machines to do something that feels more natural to human beings. So that's a that's a that's a massive shift forward in terms of what we can do with computers. Um, now, I think the the thing to keep in mind there, and and when I'm trying to uh, explain what's happening with machine learning to to uh, people who aren't technologists or aren't into the, the theory behind machine learning. One, one way I, try, I do try to simplify it is I say, well, listen, don't get too worried um, in terms of you know, building the next Terminator. What we've kind of, in, in essence, managed to do is we've taught computers to be much, much better at identifying cats. Um, there's still a problem about, okay, what should the machine do once it's identified a cat? Um, so we haven't, you know, it's not a complete shift in, in all of, you know, all of what we can do with computing. It's a, it's a complete shift in the capabilities, but we've still got a long way to go in terms of, you know, something like AGI and so forth. But, but don't get me wrong, it's a massive wave. I think this is a, you know, a new era in terms of, of what we can get our machines to do. So it, it's pretty exciting from that, but there's still a long way to go. So you mentioned, you know, that we take these deterministics machines and get them to do approximations but in the end are those they're still you know at their core deterministic and and digital is there a no matter how many how how much you try to obfuscate that in 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 the application of the technology is there still an inherent limit to that to how closely that can mimic human behavior that again very good question so you're right i mean at its at its fundamental level a computer is basically ones and zeros um you know it 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 all breaks down to that what we've managed to do over time is produce machines which are increasingly more capable um and they we've created in, increasing layers of, of sophistication um 
and platforms that can support that. And that's, you know, that's nothing to be to be laughed at. You know, certainly in in the technology I work in 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 ARM, um, the leaps forward in the last even the last few years have been quite incredible in terms of what you can do. Um, but yeah, it, it it always breaks down to ones and zeros. So, but I don't think you need. It's important not to let the fundamentals of the technology form a uh, constraint about its its potential. Because what we, if anything, what we have learned is that we can create increasing levels of of sophistication to get these ones and zeros to do more and more things and to to act more and more natural uh, in terms of our interactions and the way that they act. So, so yes, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's interesting to see the journey from ones and zeros to, to, you know, being able to do something like natural language processing and, and things like that. Um, and so as fascinating as that is, you know, we do see the end on one site in terms of the beginning is ones and zeros, but I, it's really difficult to understand where it's going to, finish in terms of what it's capable of what what I do think is you know we're we're still quite a long journey from something like AGI um, you know depending on where you draw your limits in terms of what AGI is um, we've we've undoubtedly taken a step forward with the machine learning principles and and there's the, the research that's going on around that is still uncovering you know significant steps forward so the world has changed in that sense um, and to say that that's the the kind of end of it, and I don't think anyone would 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 buy into that. Um, how far can it go? The fundamentals of your question. I I don't think we're anywhere close to to reaching the end of that yet. Um, we you know there's probably more ways to come, uh, and we we've, we've even yet to explore where the the limits of the new wave of machine learning is going to take us. So. Um, I want to give you a question that I've been mulling lately, and maybe you can help me with this. Uh, and, and the setup goes like this. If you mentioned we can teach a computer to identify cats, and it turns out we needed a million cats, actually more than a million cats and a million dogs to get the computer to, to tell the difference reliably, right? Yep. Then you say, well, huh, the interesting thing is that a human can be trained on a sample size of one. You give a human a show them a, a stuffed animal of an imaginary creature and say, find that creature in all these photos. And if, the, if it's frozen in a block of ice or upside down or half obscured by a tree or has mold growing on it or whatever, a human goes, yep, there, 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 there. Then yep. the normal reply to that as well, that's uh, transfer learning. And that's something humans do really well. And the way we do it well is we have a whole lifetime of experience of seeing things in different settings and, and what happens is because we can do that we can we can extend it and then i got mm -hmm. to thinking and i used to be fine with that and now i'm not now i think you know you can take a little kid who does not have a lifetime of learning you can show them half a dozen photos of a cat 10 photos of a cat whatever a very very small number you can go for a walk and a manx would walk out and they would say oh look a cat with no tail and yeah. And how did they do that? Because they don't, nobody told them sometimes cats don't have tails. And yet, yeah. Banks had enough catness about it that it still said, oh, that's still category cat, uh, sans tail, that's worth noting. 
So how did the child who doesn't, who's five years old, in, in my example, who does not have a lifetime of, oh, there's a dog and a dog without a tail, there's an elephant and an elephant without a tail, where did they learn to do that? Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. And I think it actually breaks down into a couple different components. Uh, one of them being the, the fundamentals of the, the processor, so to speak, or the, the, the technology, not to, to dehumanize humans, but the, the platform under which the learning is, is occurring. Um, and then the other one is the, the process of learning. Um, I mean, one thing I would say is that, you know, at, a, at the age of five, to go into the more psychological, biological side of it, by the age you reach five, you've actually done a, an awful lot of experimental learning. Um, and, you know, I know from, from my own experience, I spent far too many hours bent over my two-year-old trying to keep them from doing something silly that they had already probably done before. Um, and there's there's actually a lot of exper experiments that have been run run around this. I mean, I'm not a not a, a behavioral or a psychologist, but you know, one one that I remember is that they ran some experiments around a, a grasshopper and a glass of milk uh, with children, and it turned out in this particular experiment that up until about the age of three, um, children would quite happily drink the glass of milk. They didn't mind. Um, but it was around the age of three that the children started deciding that, no, actually, I don't want to drink milk with a grasshopper in it. That's disgusting. Um, and the, the principle behind this research, uh, from what I understood, was that, you know, disgusting is a, a learned behavior and it, it tends to kick in around the age of three. So um, so even by the age of, of you know, the, the, the rate at which humans are are building up information and knowledge and, and uh, extensible uh, understanding is just massive at, at, at the, in, even in the early ages. So, so being able to identify a dog or a cat or a, you know a, a piece of pie with a, a huge bite out of it, that's already got a by even by two. You've got a huge amount of of data that's already gone into that now. Behind that is a question of whether or not the uh, the human brain and the the machine are have the same capacity or the same capability, uh, and I think that's that's a much more significant question, and that kind of gets down to the fundamentals of the machine versus the human. Um, the and again, that, that actually reaches back a lot to the question of what is intelligence, and that's again where I see a continuum of things. So, in terms of being able to identify objects. From a personal perspective, uh, I think what we're seeing now in machine learning is really just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're we're working in the space where models are very static, um, where they do, as you say, involve typically a, a you know vast amount of data in order to be able to train. Even more so than that, they they often involve very uh, very particular setups in terms of the models that are trained against. So. So at the moment, it's kind of a, a bit of a static world uh, in machine learning. It, I would expect that the, it's only a matter of time until that kind of space around, around static machine learning is, is well understood. And the natural place to go from there is into a domain of more general purpose or more dynamic or, uh, uh, or more versatile machine learning type algorithms. So, so models which can not only deal with uh, identification of particular classes of objects, but can actually be extended to do recognition of 
you know, orthogonal type things um, it, to models where they can dynamically update uh, to, to learn as they experience. Um, so I think in terms of the, what we can do with machine learning, I really do think that it's got a long way to go, a long way toward more towards what human beings uh, appear to do, which is be able to assimilate not obviously like data and to form useful conclusions um, that are more general purpose. That's, I, I think the, the technology that we're, the wave we're on at the moment has the legs to get there. Um, but you know whether it, this is the the technology that's going to take us into other aspects of human intelligence, such as you know the ability to imagine, um, the ability to to feel or intuit. I, I, it's not it's not obvious at the moment that it, it lends itself to that at all. Um, if anything, you know technology continues to surprise us and surprise me. Um, I like Arthur C. Clarke's. Uh, quote about any sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable from magic. Um, and I, I certainly believe that's true. We've seen again and again that, that what we think is possible is simply a matter of time. Um, you know, a colleague of mine was on a flight uh, with me and said so they watched space, the original Space Odyssey and were amazed with, by how much of what seemed like the future and, and inconceivable at the time is now just a technical practicality. Um, so I, I think I think there's a long way to go with the current wave around machine learning, but I'm not sure it's got the it's the right harness to take us you know into the the, the domains of of some of the further out or you know human intelligence. Um, it you know, but that falls in line with the fact that this is a pretty exciting wave that's going to change things, but it's probably not the last wave. So if I can rephrase that if I understand it. It sounds to me like you're saying that the narrow AI we have today uh, is still nascent and we're still gonna be able to do amazing things with it, but it may have nothing whatsoever in common with an, a general intelligence other than they happen yeah. to share the word intelligence. That may be a completely different quantum-based or who knows what have you, completely te different technology we haven't even started building yet. Is that correct? Fair? Yeah. Yeah. No. That that's certainly my opinion, and you know, I have been proved wrong repeatedly in my life, and we'll see where where the technology takes us. But the you know the space of machine learning it's it's a it's a new capability for machines, which is not to be under under uh, estimated at all. It, it's pretty amazing. Right. Um, but but it is just you know it does lend itself to certain types of things. And it doesn't lend itself to other types of things. Um, the end of, you know, I'm not, not clear on where its limits are going to be found to be, um, but it, I don't think this is the, the tool that's going to solve all problems. It's a tool that can impact everything in a positive way, but it's not, it's not going to take us to the end of the earth. So assuming that's true, I want to get back to my five-year-old again, because it sounds like you think, the kinds of things I was just marveling that the five-year-old did, that's a cat with no tail, seems like that's squarely in your bucket of things narrow AI can do. And so I would, I would put the question to you slightly different. You know, a computer should be able to do five years worth of living, maybe not in five minutes, but certainly in five days or five weeks. Even mm -hmm. if you built a, 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 a sensor 
on a on a computer that a kid could wear around their neck 24 hours a day and and you you let them free in the world at age five right now the kid would still know a whole lot more than that device would know um is that in your mind a software problem or a hardware problem do we not do we not have the chip that can do it or do we not have the software or do we not have like what what are assuming narrow ai can 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 make a five-year-old what is it that we are do we not have the sensors do we not have embodiment which we may need in order for it to teach itself like what is it that you think maybe we're missing that at least would allow that narrow ai to track with the development of that growing child yeah so my answer is roughly all of those <laughs> so um I think you know it's important to to bear in mind that the human brain is a is an amazing thing. Um, you know what we do in in my company is we we spend a lot of times thinking about power efficiency, um, and uh, you know our the, the sort of part of our DNA is to to try to push the boundaries in terms of processing capability, but to make sure that we're doing it in a very very energy efficient way. And with that goal in mind, we're always looking for a, you know, a, a beacon. And the beacon in terms of raw processing capability and efficiency for, for us in many ways is the human brain. Um, the human brain's ability to, to, to process information, you know, I don't, I don't have the exact numbers to hand, but, you know, there's, there's, there's been estimates as to the, the rough digital equivalent. And, you know the the sheer bandwidth at which we can digest information is just massive. Um, so I think there's you know we would be we would be arrogant to the extreme almost to say that we've got a processor which is capable of of uh, supporting the same amount of information processing as a, a human brain. Um, you know we've certainly made great strides forward in the last uh, couple decades, but. We, you know, the human brain is still the gold standard in terms of, of what can be achieved. Um, and the software kind of flows on from that. Um, so I think there's, there's still a long way to go. That said, you know, I have yet to see the limits in terms of what could be, what could be achieved both in the hardware and the software side of things. They, you know, the pace at which they've been progressing has accelerated, if anything. Um, so still a long ways to go to be able to, to match a, a five-year-old or even a two-year-old, um, but it, it's it's definitely in, uh, increasing over time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's funny because you got this brain and it, it, it's a marvel in itself, and then you say, "What are its power requirements?" And it's twenty watts. <laughs> wow, how how are we going to duplicate that in twenty watts? Um, yeah, you know, because everything we we do right now is is more energy intensive. So, <clears throat> some of the techniques in in machine learning are, uh, you know, of course. Uh, fit things to a, like a linear regression or do classification. Is that an A or a B or a C or a, or a dog or a cat or whatever? And then there's, there's yeah. clustering where the machine, the machine's fed a lot of data and it finds kind of clou clouds in this n-dimensional space where, you know, it says uh, s something in that cloud has some likelihood of being such and such. So if, if you basically said, here's a credit card transaction, is it fraudulent? And then, the AI is going to say, well, how, how, how much was it and where was it purchased and what is the item and what time of day and who knows how many different things. And then it says, this is maybe fraud and this isn't. 
Uh, you know, in, in Europe, um, there's a sentiment and a, and a legal reality that if, if an AI makes a decision that affects your life, you have uh, the right to know why it made that decision. And so my yeah. question to you, is that inherently going to limit what we're able to do with it? Because in, in like an in dimensional space of, 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 of clustering, it would be really hard to say, well, it's because, you know, the short answer is you were in the cloud and, and this other person wasn't in the cloud. Um, you know, if, if you were to go to Google and, and say, I rank number one for, so, I rank number five for such and such search and my competitor ranks number one, why? Yeah. They might very yeah. well say, well, you don't know. I, who knows? So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, how, do you, how, do you, how do you thread that needle? Yeah, so that's a fascinating question. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. There's, um, there's kind of been a, a trend in society around, you know, we, we think we understand what computers are capable of. Well, we do understand what computers are capable of. And we try to, we try to build a, a human world around us, which is, is um, enjoyable or, or meets our social norms. Um, and that has been to date largely based around the fact that computers are deterministic and they work in the, classical deterministic algorithms and that those were reproducible and so forth and so on. And so we kind of, as human beings, molded our world around those principles. Um, and we were, you know, it's a progressive society and we, we, we continually mold our, our expectations and the rules of, of social norms to, to make that make us comfortable in that space. Um, now you're very right in the fact that when you get into the dom domain of machine learning, you're dealing with a, a technology which is largely irreproducible. Um, so the the traceability and the determinism of the decisions is, becomes a, 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 a problem or it becomes a, a shift in terms of what's capable. And, and from my perspective, I think this goes on to a, a range of different uh, domain spaces. I mean, some of the places where they're talking about this are around uh, automobiles, for example. Um, you know, machine learning, it moves the, the, the capabilities of computing and it, it opens up a huge range of benefits that can be, be delivered into the automotive space. You know, a lot of accidents and, and fatalities are caused by human error. Um, and the being able to hand more and more support to the driver or do many things for them uh, on a machine basis potentially has the, the capability to save a lot of lives uh, and, and save a lot of distress. So that's fantastic. But at the same time, it's a you know heavily regulated industry that's become used to determinism. And suddenly you have this, well, we can produce a huge amount of benefit for humankind, but it doesn't follow the social norms that we've constructed around us to date. And so I think this is this is causing a quandary in a lot of different spaces and even at, at some government levels. And from my perspective, it's it's interesting because a lot of the discussion today has been around what needs to be put in place around the technology. What are the constraints around the technology? How do we how do we mold our view of the world today to to get this new technology to fit into it? And personally, I think that's that's a very wrong way to look at it because what we've had with machine learning and what we've, we've currently got in front of us is a, a huge shift in what we can achieve with machines. Um, 
And it's, as I said, it's a principle which is now established, which is only really getting started in terms of what it's capable of and where, what it can be applied to. And, the, you know, there's a lot of debate around, is it good, is it bad? Um, and there's, I find it personally, you know, you can find examples that are inherently good or inherently bad. But if you abstract far enough away from it, there's a couple principles I think that are important. One of them is you know, technology in, in and of itself is effectively inert. Uh, it's not a question of it being good or bad. Um, it's, you know, it can be used for positive or it can be used for negative. It doesn't really inherently have a view on that. Um, it's about how the human beings, beings uh, normalize it in society. And, you know, you can look at examples like uh, speech synthesis. So machine learning brings speech recognition to a level where it can be used for security purposes. It's also capable of synthesizing speech from, from limited samples to be able to circumvent security. Um, so that's a good example of a nil-sum game. And from, from my perspective, the, the real question around machine learning isn't how do we get this technology to mold into our society? It's about recognizing the fact that what we can achieve has suddenly changed and getting society and, and human beings to move with that, to, to remold their world around these, these new capabilities and rebuild the social norms so that they can, they can harness the, the huge benefits that, that this technology can bring, but at the same time, making sure that the, you know, the social norms are in place to where they don't become chemical weapons. Uh, and, and similar to chemical weapons, we, we say as a society, that's not allowed. We're not going to, to tolerate that. So I think that the question around the technology, around machine learning, really is about human beings need to recognize, you know, human beings and societies need to recognize that this is a, a, a shift in capabilities. And we need to look at these and reconstruct our social norms so that we're, again, happy with with. Uh, the positives that we can get and we can we can benefit from those but at the same time we put the barriers up to the progression around what could be done negatively and and that's something that's had to happen with with any technology advancement um, but I do think it's the the focus really needs to be on on society and and we need to you know around the the the, the recreation of a, a particular decision um, I think we can view that in terms of our our existing social norms or we can look at it again as human beings and say right what do we consider to be acceptable um, and and I'm pretty positive uh, I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to to reach those social norms it's just a question of the approach we take and how quick we get there um, and I, I'm personally I feel that starts from just embracing the technology and appreciating you know it's here um, let's let's understand this and mold this into something that's positive for us so let's talk a, a little bit about IoT devices. Um, you know, there, there's been this struggle for uh, 2,500 years between code makers and code breakers, and and there's a long-standing yeah. unsettled debate as to who has the easier job. And then yeah. in computers, you know, you had the same thing where you have people who make viruses and and trojans, and then people who try to detect and prevent them, and they largely stay in check because when one makes an advance, the other one figures out how to counter it. And, and then, you know, they patch the software and then they find a hole in that. And then there's another patch and, and we, and, and we, we muddle through. I had a security person on the show and I said, you know, what's your biggest concern about the future? And he said, Oh, mm -hmm. you know, that we're connecting billions of devices to the internet that we do not have the capability of upgrading. 
And therefore, if vulnerabilities are, are found in them, we don't have a way to fix them. So if somebody finds a way to turn on a, a toaster oven that's connected to the internet, there's not really a way to, to fix that. What, yeah. are, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a real concern? And is, there, is it intractable? Is there a solution? What would you say? Yeah. Um, I think it, it's, definitely, it's definitely something to be taken seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that, that I know we're certainly very active around, and we have been for, for quite some time. Um, what I'm pleased about is the fact that it's become very topical. Um, the, so, you know, to kind of go back to your question, it is a concern. It is a genuine concern. Uh, we are attaching more and more devices to the internet. We've seen, you know, early examples where someone was able to to gain control of a camera in a casino, um, and you know, people were able to to launch uh, attacks, you know, d denial of service attacks because they had taken over, you know, devices, uh, a class of devices in the home. So, you know, the, I think the examples are there to 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 move aside the question of whether or not this is something to be concerned about. Um, and we are connecting more and more devices at, at a huge rate, and these devices are more and more intelligent. Um, and it, it just flows from that that we really do need to take security quite seriously. Uh, I think there's been a, a range of events that have happened over the, the, particularly the course of the last couple of years, where you, if you have a, you know, a retail credit card machine is, has been compromised through to, as I said, examples around cameras and so forth, that that has really woken everyone up. Um, and it, it, it's kind of interesting, you know, within within the sort of fundamental technologies that we work on. It's something that we've been taking very, very serious for a long time, but it wasn't really something that the, that everybody took seriously. And, and to some degree, we felt like we were banging a drum when no one was marching to it. Um, but it's, I, you know, events have driven it to the forefront of people's thinking a lot more lately. And that's been a positive thing to see. Um, what you know, one of the, the things that, that we view from, again, the platform technology perspective is you really, you can't think of security as a, an afterthought. Um, many years ago, there were a lot of people who would build devices in the way that they had before and then say, oh, hold on, somebody said I had to have some security. What do we let's bolt on some security at the end? Um, it doesn't really work that way. You can achieve a certain level, but it's easy to obfuscate in many ways. So. So you really need to think about it at the very fundamentals. It needs to be something that's, that's as integral to the design as the, the ones and zeros that you start with uh, to build it up. If you do that, then you know, that's, that's the right approach. Um, will we ever get to perfection? Probably not. Uh, but certainly it needs to be taken with the level of sincer uh, sincerity and gravitas that it deserves. And I think people are starting to do that. Um, we've seen people, you know, start to look at the the security aspects of a device from the, the very beginning uh, and the very inception and carry that through to the, the end. And thinking about things like, you know, the fact that we need to be able to manage and update these devices and so forth. So, yes, I think it's a, it's a genuine concern. Um, it's something we do need to take very seriously. And, and like I said, the example is already there to show it, it, it is. The, the positive note is that the, the trends that we're seeing uh, from the low levels of de design on up, people are actually taking it very serious. Um, it's and and that's globally. Um, you know, I lived in up until last summer. I lived in in China for five years, uh, and I you know over that time I saw it become much more serious over there. 
Um, so, so yeah, I think we're headed in the right direction. We've still got further to go. Um, and again, I think there's, there's lots of room for innovation in terms of what people can do uh, around security. But will we ever get out of the cat and mouse you know, chase? Uh, I'm not sure we ever will, but it's beholden on you know, the people with the white hats to do the best they can from the very beginning. Uh, and, and that seems to be the direction people are going. Fair enough. Okay, my final question is, you know, when, when the media gets a hold of, of these topics about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, automation, the effect on jobs, uh, security, privacy, all of them, there's often a kind of a dystopian narrative that is put forth. And so I just kind of want to ask you flat out, are you optimistic about the future, especially with regard to these technologies? Do you think they are the empowering, wealth-generating, information-freeing up, uh, you know, cognitive skill-enhancing technologies that are going to transform the world into a better place? Or are they, are, is the jury still out? We don't know. Or, or is there always going to be kind of this dystopian narrative that's just breathing, breathing over our shoulder? Yeah, so it's, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. So uh, at the moment, there's certainly a, a huge amount of uh, dialogue around the, the dystopian views of, of the future. Um, to some degree, you kind of see these whenever there's a, an element of unknown. Um, it's very easy to, to, to paint the worst. And in some ways, that's probably healthy because it, it means that you, you try to build things uh, build the new world in in such a way that it's it's safe and it's it's you know keeps you out of those kind of situations. So so <laughs> I'm not saying it's a it's a bad thing, but I do think it's it's fueled a lot by the the unknown. Um, we've had a significant jump forward in terms of what the technology can do, where it's going to lead us. Um, it's almost impossible to say. Uh, I think those that are in the technology space have a sense of the limits of where it can take us and it's it's far from those dystopian dystopian domains or, or even the AGI type domains but those that aren't you know they're they're incapable of seeing the end so we can't deterministically say where the the end of the capabilities are um, and that leaves the world outside of the technology sphere with a huge amount of uncertainty and, and fear um, and so I think that's the generation behind a lot of the 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 dialogue in the market um and th those are healthy those you know thinking about what we find acceptable and unacceptable in the future is is a perfectly sensible discussion to be having um so what is it actually going to produce a dystopian world um i'm i'm an optimist um i see the machine learning you know what it can do the positives it can bring just you know what, what it's doing in, in medical the medical space alone is just incredible uh, in terms of, of improving human health and and giving us uh, medical benefits what it can do in in automation and and you know automotive and so forth is, is again quite incredible um, they're you know projecting in the future there's just, you know, there's a lot of questions around you know what's going to happen with jobs and the ethics and so forth um, I'm not going to sit here and say I have a crystal ball that, that makes it clear any more than anyone else does, but I'm, I, I have an you know, inherent belief in human society, um, and I do think that we're going to have some disruption while we sort of reconstruct our, our social norms around what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, but 
by and large, it, as I said you know, earlier, it's, it's the technology's inert. Uh, it really comes down to how we decide as, a, as human beings to, to, to manifest the technology's capabilities. And you know, although there may be individuals that have a particular dark, nefarious side to them, um, I, you know, history would suggest that as a collective and as a whole, we tend to build our social norms of it, what, we, what can and can't be done in a positive direction. So I have, I have a tremendous amount of faith that this is all ultimately happening within the, the apparatus of a human society uh, and that we will drive the capabilities uh, and what actually gets achieved in a, a very largely positive direction. And so from, from my standpoint, it's, I think there's a massive amount of benefit to, to be had around machine learning. Um, and I'm, I'm personally very excited about what it might be able to produce, even, even if it's as, as simple as not having to worry about losing the remote on my TV. Um, sure, you know, there's potential to, to abuse and misuse it and bring about negative, uh, negative consequences, as there is with any new technology and, to some degree, almost any classical technology. Um, but I do have great faith in in society's uh, society's guidance and where that's going to actually end up being manifesting. All right. Well, that's a wonderful place to leave it. I want to thank you for an exciting hour of of uh, challenging and interesting thoughts. Yeah, likewise. Been very very interesting. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to learn more about the latest innovations in AI and machine learning, we recommend that you visit our friends at ARM at ARM.com. It's ARM.com.